Welcome to the Impact Church Aurora podcast. We pray that this week's message encourages you, engages you, and equips you to make an impact in the world around you. Now, get ready to receive the Word of God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Can we just, um, for just one second, really just kind of lift up our hands as we, as we really worship God? You know, I, I understand that today is, is Father's Day, and I know that we like to make things special for our, for our dads, those that are our, our fathers, and, uh, and we like to make it special for our fathers. But I know that there's maybe some, some of you that are here today that maybe don't have a father, that maybe never felt the love and embrace of a father in your life, and you don't know what that's like. There may be some of you here that perhaps don't have any children. You have the desire to have children, but you don't have children. Or, or, or perhaps your relationship with your children has been broken and separated and, and that connection is not there. But one of the reasons why I want to focus on today is worshiping our Heavenly Father. Because even though you may not be able to relate directly to what the love of a father is, we can all relate to the love that comes from our Heavenly Father. And we can stand here and say, Father, we love you. And we stand in your presence, in all of, all of your power, in all, all, of, all of your love, in all and all of everything that you are able to do because we know that you can do exceedingly abundantly above we can ask or even think of so i said okay if if we make it about not not us but if we make it today this father's day it said okay if we make it about our heavenly father amen amen hallelujah hallelujah this morning, I have the honor of uh, bringing the word out, out to you today. Our pastors are taking some very, very well-deserved uh, time. Uh, they're actually on vacation. They're going to be gone for like about a week, week and a half. And uh, this is a time for, for family time, a time for refreshing. And, and you know, they, they deserve it. Our pastors, they work so hard. So let's, let's go ahead and give them a, 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 a big hand because they're listening to us right now on Facebook. Pastors, we love you. We pray that you are having an amazing time and enjoying yourselves out there. Amen. Um, as I get started, I want to go ahead and, and, and pray. And one of the things that I want to pray for also is uh, Pastor Ed Doppel and his wife. Um, if you don't know Pastor Ed Doppel, he is actually the pastor of Resurrection Church. He has been so kind. He's really taken Pastor Jamin under his wing and really mentored him. And not only that, but he's gone beyond that right he's opened up the doors of this building so that we can have a place where we can worship so we don't have to be you know being you know from one place to another but to be able to have a stable place a stable home where we can be able to come in every week and and and, and gather and learn and whatnot but anyways um him and his wife were uh, were on a trip or are in a trip in costa rica and um and they and, and pastor ed and his wife had an accident i'm not sure exactly what happened the message that i got is is that we need to pray for him um his wife may have a broken foot and his wounds um, are getting infected that's that's the message that i got i don't know i don't know anything else about that but what i do know is is that we have a loving father that can just touch him right where he's at 
So we're, as we pray, we're going to go ahead and pray for that. And then um, also just want to really just lift up our pastors in prayer. Want to um, lift up Pastor Jamin in prayer. Just, you know, the next few weeks uh, for, for this to just to be like a time of refreshing and a time of empowerment. So uh, let us pray. Um, Heavenly Father, we come before your presence. We thank you for being such a loving Father. Such a loving Father that's always willing and able to incline your ear towards us. It doesn't matter the state that we come in. You're always willing to open the door wide open for us and to let us in. So today, Father, we, we just worship you because you are good. You are kind. You are loving. Thank you, Daddy. Thank you, Daddy. Thank you that you love us just, just as we are. And Father, we have needs and we don't know anywhere else to go but to you, Father. So right now, Father, we're lifting up Pastor Ed and his wife. We're praying, Father, that right now your healing touch is just touching them, Lord. That you are ministering to them, Lord, wherever they're at right now, Father. That you are working everything out, Father. That if there's any fractures or anything else in, 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 in Pastor Ed's wife, Lord, that, that you will just heal those bones right now, Father. That you will bind them to bind them together again, Lord. That they will be whole again, Father. You can do it and you can act on that, Lord. Father, anything that's coming against Pastor Ed in terms of an infection or whatever the case may be, we rebuke it in Jesus' name. And we declare the healing of God over him. And Father, we pray over our pastors, Pastor Jamin and Pastor Olga, Father. I just pray, Father, that this time that they're away, just enjoying the company of their family and their children, Lord, that this is a, a time of empowerment and refreshment for both of them, Father, not just for Pastor Jim, but for, for both of them, Father, that, that they will just be bonded so much closer together than ever before, Father. That as we see Pastor Jamin coming back, Lord, he will come back refreshed. And that he will feel your power and your presence. And that anointing will be like never before. So we just thank you for that, Lord. Daddy, we love you. We give you the praise, the honor, and all the glory. We thank you and we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen, amen, amen. Hallelujah. Let me ask you a question. After last week's service, how many of you feel empowered? You know what was last week, right? We're celebrating Pentecost Sunday. How many, how many, how many of you feel empowered by the Holy Spirit? You know, one of the things that we have to realize is this. Is this that the power of the Holy Spirit is not just for preachers. It's not just for evangelists or, or, or people who work in special ministry. It is available for every single believer who is willingly, who willingly surrenders moment by moment in submission and obedience to the Holy Spirit. See, we experience that power when we completely surrender to the Holy Spirit. You know, and as I was getting ready for this, this message, one of the things that I heard from the Lord is this, is that oftentimes, you know, I hear people say, well, I heard God telling me this, or I hold, you know, I heard the Holy Spirit tell me that and whatnot. And I really felt like, you know, God was kind of checking this and saying, well, if they're not in complete submission to me and obedience to me, it may not be me telling you those things. So this is just kind of like a, a, a word of warning. It says that we have an open heaven 
We have power. We have authority. But we got to make sure that we are completely submitted to the Lord. That we don't take the power of the Holy Spirit so lightly that we think that we can live the way that we want. And then just be able to just walk in the, in the power of the Holy Spirit because it does not work that way. Over the last few weeks, I've been just seeking God, getting ready. I've been fasting. I've been seeking the Lord. And the one thing that just kept coming back to me, kept coming back to me, kept coming back to me is this. It's just that God is expecting a higher level of holiness from the way that we live. That we cannot be so casual about the way that we live. That we cannot abuse grace. Because it comes to a point when we say God is so loving. God accepts us just as we are. And that's true. But we cannot live the way that we want to. And then still think that God is with us. And that the Holy Spirit is the one leading us and guiding us. We cannot abuse that grace. Amen. And, and you know, that, and, and that right there, that's just the Holy Spirit reminded me what he put in my spirit. It's how I've been getting ready and, and I've just been... Uh, working in submission and obedience to what he's asking us to do. Amen? Again, Pentecost is important. And this is why it's important. Because just as the resurrection proves that God accepted the sacrifice of Jesus, Pentecost is proof that we live under an open heaven through the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that amazing? It says that the proof that we are living under an open heaven is this, is that we have the very manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Matthew 3, 13 through 17 says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. See, as I was reading this, it never hit me before. It says that what this is speaking is, is that it's speaking of Jesus' humbleness. Because if we realize the, the, the passages right before this, it's saying that John was getting the way ready, right? He was preparing everything else. He was going out and preaching and asking everybody to repent and come to the Lord, right? Be baptized and repent. So what does Jesus do, right? He comes to John and says, I need to be baptized by you. And it's, it's, it's got to be such a humbling moment for Jesus because there is Jesus. Jesus is perfect. There is no sin whatsoever in him. But yet, he is so obedient to the Father that he's saying, let it be so, so that all righteousness could be completed. And that's amazing about our Jesus, right? And as we get into some of the next verses here, we see why the father was pleased with him. And then it goes on to say, as soon as Jesus um, was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was open and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove aligning on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love with, who, who I love with him, I am well pleased. Now, those are some powerful words 
because they express acceptance. It says that I am well pleased or that I am ever delighted in you. The language implies that he was constantly or uniformly well pleased with Jesus. And in this solemn and public manner, he expressed his approbation of him as the redeemer of the world. He's saying, I approve of you as being the Messiah. This is my son in whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. How many of us have ever longed to hear those words from our early fathers? I know that even under the sound of my voice, there may be some of you that are here and that say, you know what, I, I, I've really never known what it's like to hear or, or my, my daddy tell me that he loves me, that he's proud of me, that he believes in me, that he has trust in me, that he thinks that I can do great things, that I can go above all my limitations. I'm going to go ahead and show you a, a picture. This picture here uh, is something that is, is very, very special to me. Uh, this was in eighth grade, and um, I was being awarded a uh, Student of the Year Award. And, um, and that's my daddy uh, standing there, and then there's the principal. Not the tall guy, of course, right? You know, we're, we're short here, you know? So, uh, so my daddy was there standing next to me, and, um, and I was in eighth grade. And the reason why this is so special is because of this. When we came from Mexico, we came from Mexico when I was in fourth grade. And, you know, uh, bilingual programs were not as they are now. Um, in fourth grade, I was on the west side, so they had a better uh, bilingual program. In fifth grade, we moved over to the east side of Aurora. And, man, I was just kind of getting by with the little English that I learned in fourth grade. And, you know, fifth grade was tough because it was all English. Sixth grade was getting a little bit better, but it was still tough. Seventh grade got better. You know, I started getting good grades and everything else. Eighth grade, I'm getting straight A's. I also got another award for being the history student of the year. And, and, and the thing is, is that to me, I came from struggling so hard to be able to get to a point where I'm actually doing good. But my daddy wasn't even acknowledging what I was doing. And to me, it was like, how could it be that I come home and I'm like showing my dad, 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 look, look, straight A's. And my dad would just look at it and be like, okay, good job. Never really acknowledging much. Now, us as immigrants, um, my dad actually never really got to have a driver's license, so he never drove. My dad really never spoke English. And the reason why this picture is like so important to me is because that day, my dad made it there. I have no idea how he got there. I have no idea how somebody notified him about it, and he actually got off work and made it there. And when I saw him there, I was like, wow. To me, him being there was even a bigger reward than the award itself. See, and I think that we all fall in that category. It's just that we all long to hear the words that, that our Father is well pleased with us. Amen. The audible words, uh, words, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased, must, must have been very, very surprising to those that were there during that baptism, those that were there present. 
As Pastor Jamin explained last week, the last time an entire nation heard the audible voice of God was back in the book of Exodus, where God himself spoke the Ten Commandments in the hearing of all the people. In this passage, we see that a voice from heaven, a voice from God, which was probably heard by all those that were present, this voice or sound was also repeated in the mountain of transfiguration. And there's different, different passages that talk about there. Matthew 17, 5, Luke 9, 35, 2 Peter 1, 17. Then there was also just heard just before his death. And then it was also supposed by many that maybe it was just thunder. This event is so significant because not only was Jesus being baptized, not for the forgiveness of his own sins, but for the forgiveness of the nation of Israel, just like previous prophets had done. But in doing so, he was inaugurating his public ministry and identifying with the people of Israel. You see, he wasn't identifying with all the, the, uh, the, the Sadducees and the teachers of the law, the Pharisees. He was signifying and aligning with the Israelites, saying, hey, I am one of you. Just as, I, just as you need to be baptized, I'm baptized, being baptized as well. And with this, he started the process of opening the heavens for you and me. Because if we recall this, um, um, we never have ever had an open heaven before, right? So what does an open heaven signify? That open heaven signifies that we have open access to our Heavenly Father. Since the fall of man, there has been separation between God and man. Jesus came to restore that which was lost. And the thing that was lost was what? It was fellowship between God and man. So Jesus came to restore that which was lost, which was the fellowship between God and man. And in Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, we hear and see the separation that happened. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, nor his ear is heavy, that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. And you see, the Old Testament Jews had a clear understanding that there was a separation between God and them. Can we go ahead and show the next picture, please? See, they, they knew that there was a clear separation between God and them because every time they walked into the table, temple, there was a wall that reminded them of that separation. And what we see here in the, in, in the picture here is we see how the temple was laid, laid out, right? We had the outer yard, the holy place, and the holies of holies. You see, the temple was crafted in such a way as to remind people that, of their separation from God. You could only go so far forward to the holies of holies where God dwelt based on your status. The priest would go into the holy place, but there was a huge veil that separated it from the holies of holies. In that holies of holies, there was the Ark of the Covenant, and on top of the Ark was the mercy seat and a replica of the 
two cherubs called the cherubim. It was also thought that God dwelt between the cherubims. And when God looked down into the ark, he saw the law of Moses that was continually broken. For that reason, the ark of the covenant was a reminder of God's judgments. So once a year, the high priest was allowed to go into the holies of holies after he had made a sacrifice for his own sins. Can you imagine that? What it would be like coming to church, right? You're bringing in, you know, hey, here's my goat. Hey, I couldn't find a goat, so here's my dog kind of thing, you know? Can you imagine what that would have been like? You know, can you imagine just like the smell and everything else going on? But that's how it had to be, right? Again, not only that, he had to go once, uh, go in year after year with blood of animals. See, that was the picture of what our high priest Jesus Christ would do on the cross for us. Hebrews 9, 11, and 12 tells us this. But when Christ appeared as the high priest of the good things to come, he entered to the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place once and for all, obtaining eternal redemption. See, Jesus did not have to atone for his own sins because he had no sins. He went into a, not a, a man-made temple, but he went right into the very presence of God. He did not come with the blood of animals, but with his own blood. And he made the sacrifice for our sins once and for all. So we don't have to go back there time and time and time again. Jesus died once. He doesn't have to go back anymore. Having obtained eternal forgiveness for, all, for you and me because of what he did. Isn't that great? That is exactly what our Savior, that's exactly what Jesus Christ has done for us. Jesus has truly brought us closer to the Father. Ephesians 2.13 puts it this way. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. By his blood, we are brought near to the Father. And isn't that what we just long to really just be close to the Father? To feel the loving embrace of the Father? In other words, he opened the curtain. He tore the veil. Something happened during the death of Christ that opened the door for you and me. And something is described, um, and that something is described by the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 10, 19-20 that says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. And you see, previously, people didn't have that confidence to enter before the throne of, of grace. And now any of us, any of us can call on his name and say, Father, here I am. Hear me. Here I am, Father. Hear me. Verse 20, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body.
See, to the original re uh, readers, the Jewish people, those four less words were explosive. Curtain, Christ's body. According to the writer, the curtain equals Jesus. Hence, whatever happened to the flesh of Jesus happened to that very curtain. That thing that separated us, Jesus took upon himself. What happened to his flesh, it was completely torn. Torn by whips, torn by the thorns that were put on his head, torn by the weight of the cross and the point of the nails. He did that so that you and I could have that closeness to the Father. Amen? Matthew 27, 15, 51 says, And when Jesus had cried out once again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. And for us, what does that signify? What did the torn curtain signify to us? That we are welcome to enter into God's presence at any given moment, at any given time. God has removed that barrier that once separated us from him. The barrier of sin, it's down. He has removed the curtain. But unfortunately, we have the tendency to put up barriers, don't we? Sometimes, no, 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 not sometimes, often, we allow those mistakes to keep us from God. Our guilty conscience many times becomes that curtain that separates us from God. God doesn't want that. God doesn't want that. Can I tell you something? It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you're doing. It doesn't matter what you're thinking about doing. God isn't mad at you. God loves you. For that reason, don't trust in your conscience. Trust in the cross. I'm going to say that again. For that reason, don't trust in your conscience. Trust in the finished work of Christ. The blood has been spilled and the veil has been split. And for that, you are welcome into his presence. Isn't that beautiful? We are welcome into the very presence of our Father. See, many of us long to feel the embrace of our Father. The touch. My daddy has gone to be with the Lord for 12 years now. 12 and a half years ago, he went to be with the Lord. And I oftentimes wish that I could just hug him one more time. That I could feel his embrace. That I could hear his voice. 
that I could hear him say, I'm proud of you, son. And we all long for that. But the beautiful thing is, is that Jesus did that for us. So that we could be in the very presence of the Father. So that the very Father can just embrace us and love us and take care of us. We may not be able to feel the love and embrace of our Father, earthly Father. But we can certainly feel the love and embrace of our heavenly Father. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for what you have done in the cross for us. Lee Strobel puts it this way. If God can take the worst thing that could ever happen, the death of his son, and turn it into the best thing that could ever happen, the opening of heaven for all who follow him, then he can draw good from the current struggles that you are facing. Your pain, your struggles, the things that you are going through right now, God can use that for the better. God can use that for the good. Isn't that amazing what, what, what God did is taking the death of his only begotten son in whom he was well pleased and made it such a wonderful thing that we could just have life and life more abundantly. Isn't, isn't that amazing? <laughs> Hallelujah. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Hmm. That is so beautiful that God is able to do that. Amen. All right, look at your neighbor and tell them, God was pleased with Jesus, and he wants to be pleased with you too. <laughs> and, you know, and you may say, well, you know, that was easy. You know, that was Jesus. How can the Father not be, how can the Father not be pleased with Jesus, right? That was Jesus. That was perfect. But one of the things that we notice here is that it is possible to please the Father. Because one of the things that happened is, is that in that particular moment in time when he was baptized, when those audible voices came out and said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, up to that point, Jesus had done absolutely nothing. <laughs> right? He had done nothing at all. He hadn't even started his ministry. As a matter of fact, right after, after the baptism... After we hear these words, it says that Jesus was empowered and he went into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil, right? And then right after he was tested and passed the test, what did he do? He started his ministry. So what I'm trying to say by this is that if it's possible for Jesus and, and, and God was pleased with him, it is possible for you and I to also please our heavenly father. And I think that we can please him, but we know what? One of the things that the, the, you know, the Lord really placed in my heart is, is that we just got to be very, very careful to not become too legalistic in trying to please him. Yeah. Right? Because we can go on both extremes, right? On the other extreme, it says that we can become too full of grace <laughs> and forgiving 
and, and just say, well, our Heavenly Father loves us. We can just, you know, He can forgive me, you know. I can leave with my boyfriend. It's all right. I'm a Christian, but yeah, it's all right. You know, you know, it's all in love. No, we cannot extend that. We cannot really just abuse the grace of God. We cannot abuse his grace. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing, right? So this, this last passage right here, this last scripture here is basically telling us, right? Let's not try to become legalistic, and then let's not try to abuse grace. Amen? So how can we please the Father? Can I give you guys four quick takeaway points? Just, just four quick ones. I'm almost done. I'm almost done. So point number one is uh, the great psalmist George Michael once said, you got to have faith. You got to have faith. Hebrews 11.6 puts it this way. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because what? Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. We got to have faith. That's, that's not the number one thing. If you want to please God, you have to have faith. See, it comes to the point where you can't let your circumstances shake you. You have to trust in him. You have to believe in him. Every decision that you make is a spiritual decision, whether he is big enough or powerful enough to take care of you in your circumstances. You know, many times in the biggest way that we are tested, and that really becomes a spiritual, um, a spiritual decision is here, is when it comes to money, when it comes to tithe and offering, right? Many times, right, we're, we're good tithers, right? And we're believing and trusting in God. But for some reason, something comes, you know, whether you lose your job or your income goes down and everything else. And the first thing that says, well, you know what? I'm just going to have to tighten up and I'm just going to have to cut back on, 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 on tithing. You know, maybe we'll give a little bit of something, but I'm not going to tithe. What you're basically saying with that is, is that you're not trusting that God is able enough to be able to keep the lights on in your house for that. Almost five years ago, I lost my job. Uh, my company was, was being restructured, and I, lo I lost my job. I got a nice severance package. I was collecting unemployment. The decision that my wife and I made was that every week we were going to be tithing just as if I was still getting my income. And you know what? I tell you what? I ended up getting a, a, a job a few weeks later. And the great thing about it is, is that after I got my job, you know, I didn't get paid for the first two weeks. But then when I got paid, I actually got paid for those two weeks plus the whole entire month. <laughs> and that entire time, there was no need in my house whatsoever. And, I, and I'm saying this for one reason and one reason alone. Yeah, let's, let's give God the praise because that's all God. And again, it's just that we can allow these things to shake us at all. 
Every decision that we make is a spiritual decision of whether God is big enough and powerful enough to take care of our needs. Amen. So if you want to, if, if you want to please the, if you want to please the Father, our Heavenly Father, you gotta have faith. You gotta have faith. You can't let things just shake you one way or the other. Ephesians four fourteen puts it this way: Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. You got to have faith so that you, get, you don't get slapped around from one side to the other. You got to have faith. You can't be infants anymore, which gets me to point number two. If you want to please the Father, how do we do that? You got to grow up, son. <laughs> you got to grow up, right? You got to start, um, um, start exercising your power, right? If we are crucified in Christ... That means that we are dead to our old selves, right? Who we were before, we are no longer that person anymore. We have to now put on Christ. See, the Father was pleased with Jesus even before he started his ministry. As a matter of fact, in Luke 2.40, it says here, And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and grace, and, and the grace of God was with him. And then after he gets lost and Mary goes find some stuff like that. And Mary says, hey, Solomon, where were you? You were lost for like however many days. How they did that, I have no idea. If one of my kids is missing, I'm going to know. Uh, but anyways, uh, but that was Mary. So she gets more grace than all of us. So, <laughs> you know, how do you, how, do you, how do you lose the son of God? <laughs> you know? That's <laughs> a good question. But anyways, right after she finds him, right? Uh, Jesus was telling me, well, you know what? I got to be about my father's business and so on and so forth. Luke uh, 2.52 says, And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And again, up to the point when the words are said, This is my son in whom I will please, Jesus had really not done anything. But you know what Jesus was doing? He was getting into the scriptures. He understood the law. He knew the law. So he was able to speak and debate with the teachers of the law of that time because he knew exactly, he was into his word. He was growing in favor with God and in men and growing in wisdom. See, the problem with many of us is that we have been saved for 20 years. The problem is, is that we keep having the one year experience 20 times, right? And it can be, that can be. We got to grow. We got to grow. We got to develop. We cannot continue to have the same one-year experience over and over again. Hebrews 5.12 puts it this way. In fact, through by this time, you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. See, and the important thing about this here is, is that if you're growing, how do you grow and develop? By using what God is putting into you. By practicing your faith, right? That's how you're going to do that, right? You got to exercise your faith 
in order for us to grow. Amen? 1 Corinthians 3.2 says, I gave milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready for it. How many of you want to, how many of you want to be able to please our Heavenly Father? One, two, three, four, five. Anybody else? <laughs> how many, I'm going to ask the question again. How many of you want to please our Heavenly Father? Amen. So if we want to, we want to please our Heavenly Father, we got to grow. We got to grow. Amen. We got to grow. You cannot continue being a spiritual midget. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> sorry for all the short people out there. <laughs> Michael was looking right at me. I was uh, sorry, brother. I wasn't. <laughs> You're a giant, brother. You're a giant. Michael, Michael Velasquez, he, he, he's definitely a giant in the faith. You know, I, I'm proud of this brother because he has been growing leaps and bounds in the faith. He's, 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 he, he stopped drinking milk a long time ago. He's been, he's been grabbing that meat and just like devouring it and, and just growing in the Lord. So keep up, keep up growing, bro. You may not be big in stature, but man, you are, you are powerful. You are powerful, brother. Amen, amen, amen. Amen. So we cannot continue being what? Spiritual midgets. We got to grow. We got to grow. All right. Point number three. And I just got two more and, 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 and we're done here. All right. Now, point number three is this. We have to be able to create a pleasing aroma to God. In Leviticus, a pleasing aroma is mentioned in the connection with the various offerings of the Jewish, uh, the Jewish tabernacle worship. Leviticus 1.9 says, the priest is to burn all, um, burn all of it in, on the altar. It is a burnt offering, a food offering, an aroma pleasing to God. Do you guys ever have any aromas or any smells that, that, that kind of bring really great memories? Like behind, like, like you know, like I, I can remember like my mom's cooking and you think about that and it just kind of fills you with like a lot of really good memories and stuff like that. Um, and you just kind of like think about those things and you're reliving those things. And I believe that that's what, when, when you do things that are pleasing to God, when you're actually doing things to please the Father, that's like creating a pleasing aroma that is so great for the Father. It's a delightful aroma which He could breathe all day long. In fact, throughout the Bible, certain scents seem to hold specific meanings for God. While some delight him, others, unfortunately, cause him to recoil. Some of the things that, that are pleasing to God is, are these. The aroma of our prayers. When we're seeking him, when we're praying, when we're interceding for other people, when we're basically pr praying and saying, God, we trust in you, we believe in you. We have a difficult situation and we have nowhere else to go, so we are coming to you. Those are, those are the type of aroma that is pleasing to God. What about the aroma of our witness? When we can go out there and just kind of share what God has done in our life. What God has, how God has changed us. You know, and I often see Michael doing that uh, on Facebook and stuff like that. Just sharing his testimony. Just sharing, hey, this is who I was, but this is who God has turned me into. And he's delightful when we basically are able to do our witness, not just in who we were, 
But let people, your current witnesses to who you are, let there be a witness to them. That they may see the goodness of God through you. How, what about the aroma of our love? He's calling us to love one another. What about the aroma of repentance? We mess up. We truly come to God in repentance and we say, God, I messed up. I really dropped the ball. I really, really, really messed up. I'm sorry. I no longer want to do this. I want to turn away from my sin and I want to turn to you. I want to turn into righteousness. Those are the things that are pleasing to God. Right? It's like we got to create an aroma. Right? The next thing is you got to produce fruit. What kind of fruit are you producing? In Mark 11 chapter, we see that Jesus curses a fig tree. Right? Because it says that he was on the way to town. He looks at a tree and he's reaching it for fruit. It looks beautiful from the outside and then reaches out and there's no fruit. And then he curses that. And in this inverted miracle, we see precisely, precisely the stakes for not being able to produce fruit. But it's not so much not being able to produce fruit, but of giving a fruitful impression and failing to back it up. There's one thing, if you're not able to produce fruit, okay, that's, that's you know, you're working on it, you're, wor- you're working process. But if you got all these things that says, I'm producing fruit, but you can't back it up, then that becomes a problem. That becomes a problem. If you aren't able to produce fruit right now, there's something that you can work on. But if you're pretending, man, that's, that's, that, that's, that's a problem. Hmm. And see, the other thing, too, is, is that not only that happened, but the very next thing that happened right after that is that Jesus, you know, once he got to Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there, right? See, that's the thing with Jesus is that he hates pretenders. He hates people that pretend to be just doing the job and they're not doing it. The one time where you really see uh, Jesus really, really ticked off, it's right there in Mark eleven fifteen, where he starts driving all, all of them out of there. Because that's the one thing that really, really angers him. God's power, and, um, God's power and only God's power is what enables us to exhibit love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control which really truly reveal the character of Christ in us. What kind of fruit are you creating? Again, if you want to please the Father, we got to create a pleasing aroma. We got to produce fruit. Amen? And number four, and we're almost going to close here. Number four, let God love you. Let our daddy just love you. Would you just do that? Do you want to please him? You just got to let him love you. You know, when I get home from, uh, from work, I open the door and I scream out. 
ya llegó papi, which simply means daddy's home. And then as I say that, and as I do that, I see my kids just like running to greet me. And you know what? Sometimes as happy as I am to see them, sometimes I just want to be able to just love on them, right? I don't want to be bombarded with, can I play Fortnite? I want a new phone. I'm bored. I have nothing to do. Can I have your phone, Daddy? <laughs> you know, sometimes I just want to be able to just love on them, right? I just want to sit them on my lap and just tell them how much I love them, some, how much I care for them. And you know what? God sometimes wants the same for us. He doesn't just want us to bombard Him with everything that we need, with all of our prayer needs, with all the different things that we need and we want. Sometimes all that God wants is for Him to love on us, to take care of us. And He's able to do that when we come and to surrender with Him. You know, when we're here praising and worshiping, uh, and when we're worshiping here, that's exactly what we're doing, right? We're surrendering unto God. We're not bringing all of our needs to Him. We're just telling Him, Daddy, we love you. You are so great. You are so awesome. And in that very moment, God just reciprocates His love and says, My children long for me. Let me just tell them how much I love them. Because in many times, for many of us, the time where we've been able to feel God's presence the most is when we worship. And that's when we just feel the embrace of the Father just being here with us. How long has it been since you've allowed God to love on you? Just let God love you. The beautiful thing about this is this. It's just that God loves you just as you are. The word tells us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And one of the things that I want you to get from this message today is this. What God does for you, what God does for you, is not dependent on your love for Him. What God does for you is dependent on His love for us. Because our love goes up and down. Our level of devotion goes up and down. That's why the way that we love God and the way that we care is not dependent on what God is going to do for us. What He's going to do for us is dependent on one thing. And that is dependent on His love for you and me. Romans 9.16 It does not therefore depend on human desire or effort but on God's mercy. 
His mercy that is new each and every day. Will you just let your daddy love you today? Can today we make it? It's cool if we honor our dads and those that are those of us that are fathers. It's cool that our children honor us. But can we just today's Father's Day? Can we just put all of our love and affection towards Him? Because the daddy, our daddy, wants to say that he trusts in you. Got one last picture. This picture that um, is, this is when, um, when I graduated with my master's degree. And I look at my dad and he's so proud. He's smiling. He's just so proud of me. And we went from a place where he couldn't express how proud of me he was to this place. He was the first one that embraced me after I graduated. He ran to me and embraced me. And he whispered in my ear and he said, When are you getting your doctorate? <laughs> and you know what those words really meant to me is this. Is that he had so much faith and trust in me. He had so much faith and trust in who I was. It said, I trust you, son. And see, our Heavenly Father right now is looking down on us. And He's saying, I'm not mad at you. I trust you. When are you going to make it to the next point where you need to be? No more excuses. No more hiding. No more stepping back. Our Heavenly Father wants to love you. And He wants you to love Him back. Thank you for listening to this week's message on the Impact Church Aurora podcast. Please feel free to subscribe, rate, and review. For more information or to give, please visit us at www.impactchurchaurora.com. Now, go out into the world and continue making an impact.